Australia has a key responsibility to really lead the world in climate change. We have to drastically and swiftly reduce our greenhouse gas pollution levels. Are we going to be the ones that could have saved the reef but didn't? You're listening to the Climate Council Podcast. Welcome to the Climate Council Podcast. I'm Alexia Boland. Climate Councillor Greg Bourne has worked at the nexus of climate change, energy, business and policy for more than 30 years. A former president of BP Australasia, Greg Bourne made the leap from the fossil fuel industry to the not-for-profit sector, following his passions to further focus on climate change and the environment. It was then that Greg Bourne became the CEO of WWF Australia for over six years. He has since spent his evolving career focusing on climate solutions and how to slash Australia's rising greenhouse gas pollution levels in the energy sector, with particular emphasis on renewables and battery storage as the former chair of the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. This is his story. Typical sort of sciencey geek at uh, at school and at university. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a chemist, a physicist, a mathematician, or an engineer, and so on. Um, and so, always, always been interested in the the engineering side of things. And uh, with BP, obviously being an energy company, you know, started off being interested in the the processes which create uh, the finding of oil, the finding of gas, and the refining of it, and so on. It just fascinated me, all of it absolutely fascinated me. And of course, all of this was well before people were talking about uh, climate change and global warming. And what kind of projects were you working on at BP? Any kind of larger scale um, entities or like what was your passion that drove you throughout your career, which, you know, more than 30 years, it's such a long time. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, some of the first ones were at refineries and, uh, you know, building new uh, uh, chemical plants at the refineries and that was just fascinating because you're, you're young you're doing the nuts and bolts and then when I moved into the uh, the drilling engineering side of things the opportunity to travel to different countries like the Middle East and you know, South America and China and so on actually drilling for oil and gas on the drilling rigs as you what people have all seen and so on and then later on actually running some of these very, very large production platforms like you see in the Northwest Shelf and uh, Bass Strait, North Sea, elsewhere. Um, so, you know, as an engineer, you're, you know, you're challenged by the, the sort of the mathematics, the engineering, the safety, the safety culture, you know, the environment, the local environment, trying to make sure nothing actually happens in the local environment. Um, and you're just fascinated by it. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can think it, you can do it. And almost any engineer will tell you that's exactly what they love. But you were able to retire at the age of 55, which is some people's dream. And and you really had a lot of deep thoughts in terms of considering a different career and um, you know a really huge change of pace. What can you tell me about what sparked that and that kind of process of change for you? Well, it, it's actually sort of a very personal journey in that sense in that my mother died you know really quite young my father died of cancer uh you know before i was 50 you know and he was only 68 i had a malignant melanoma and it sort of struck me that you never know when the bus coming down the road is going to knock you off your perch as it were and uh, so i decided there were other things to do in life and i didn't know what they were going to be so i decided deliberately and i fortunately could to take a year off and think about it and that was when someone, you know, sort of nine months into that journey said, why don't you have a look at this job, which was the chief executive of WWF, the environmental organization. And I thought, this is an interesting challenge. I know lots about climate change and energy. 
uh, there are wonderful people who can fill in all the gaps of forestry and um, marine biology, you know, people with PhDs who really know that sort of stuff. But I did know how to run an organisation, a multinational organisation and so on. Um, and sort of the, the story then basically moved into, OK, I can do something really good, particularly on the climate change and energy side uh, over the next several years. And so what was the reaction from the industry, especially, you know, the BP in the energy sector? Because I think to, to many, some would describe that as, you know, a leap that's the total opposite of what you were doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, sort of the, the, there, there was a phrase that we used to use inside uh, BP, and that was, as our employees come through the door, they do not leave their values behind. And so many of the people I worked with had, you know, amazing values, you know, strongly focused on the environmental issues that were growing are more and more important and had to be addressed, social issues, societal issues, and so on. And indeed, I and indeed quite a lot of my colleagues I know from around the world have followed similar paths into similar different types of organizations with a determination to not give back because I don't think we ever took away, as it were, mm. but to try and help create a better future. Um, and so, you know, I don't see sort of leaving the oil industry behind as a bad thing at all. It was, for me and for quite a few of my colleagues, a very natural progression. How can we make things better now that we know uh, how many bad things have come about from some parts of the industry? And that's so wonderful to know that you're not alone in terms of those in your industry and former colleagues that have made similar steps. And can you tell me a bit about the year that you spent contemplating um, what to do next and you know, thinking about your work with climate change and renewables and sustainability, all these skills that you have from you know, your, your huge career? Um, what was that like? Was it an exciting time or was it a bit terrifying that you, know, you weren't sure what to do next or was it you know, kind of a, a necessary step before? Before you joined WWF? Well, certainly I think it was a necessary step and, and without doubt at the end of a, you know, a long career, you know, sort of the, you are a little bit worried about what's the first Monday going to be like after the last Friday. <laughs> yeah. um, by the time you actually get there, you know, you find you're already busy, you're doing a bit of pro bono stuff here, giving a lecture at university there and you are actually quite busy. But then thinking about what you want to do it, to me, it was very interesting. You know, so I want to work more by myself, more with others. Um, you know, I, I'm not a person who could sort of sit in a, um, a a room and just write poetry or write a novel. I actually need the human interaction, as we all tend to do. So anyway, so going through those sorts of thinking processes was very important. And the other one was actually sort of in the busy life of a, a of an executive, or, or most of us these days. You know keeping up with friends who have just fallen into the Christmas card category, um, you know, <laughs> going to visit them, drinking quite a bit of red wine, um, but catching up with you know, real people in real countries, that to me was very, very important. I did that. And during that time also, you're listening to the advice of your friends and your colleagues and relatives and so on. And then I have always had this phrase that... Um, you know, luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. And if you prepare and you think things through and then a door opens or an advertisement appears in a newspaper, because you prepared, you're the one who's the lucky one. Uh, and that really was how it worked for me. It definitely seemed like it was meant to be, especially when this um, role at um, WWF Australia kind of revealed itself after that period of time. What was the next kind of stage of your career like? What, what did the work involve and 
you know, did you see a lot of contrasting, um, I suppose, projects in, in your involvement with WWF? Yes, and I think, as I said before, you know, my, my technical expertise was the climate change and energy side, but there was a huge amount of work which was done um, on the marine biology, you know, people working on the reef, people working with turtles, you know, people you know, working in, in India on, you know, elephants, tigers, you know, so you have the, the what's known uh, as charismatic megafauna, so people who are working on that who totally passionately believe in tr- creating uh, sanctuaries and protecting ecosystems. So working with those folks, but of course they are the ones who really know that area. Mm. But for my um, skill set, the key thing was keeping the, sh- the show on the road, as it were, you know, helping the finances work through, um, and most importantly, helping lead the climate change and energy debate heading into the Copenhagen uh, conference in 2009. And I noticed that you've said two questions stay with you in your work. Number one, are you proud of what you are doing today? And number two, are you proud of what you're leaving behind? What are your thoughts on this now? I still totally believe that. Um, If you, in the course of doing your work, find that you're not actually proud of what you and your organization are doing, something is going wrong and it it can be environmental, it can be social, it can be commercial. If you're not proud of it, then you should be moving on. But the legacy of what you and your organisation um, create is also important. You know, I think that anyone who has a good set of values is thinking about: you know, Are you proud of what you're doing today? Are you proud of what you're leaving behind? Because all too often you do see firms and indeed meet individuals who are only thinking about today. They're not thinking about anything outside their particular um, remuneration. Uh, they're not thinking about what's happening. They're not worried about the havoc that they might be leaving behind. So I believe you have to think about, uh, you know, and what are you leaving behind. Can you tell me about how you became a climate counsellor with the Climate Council and what the story is there? Yeah, after I had uh, left WWF, I then worked uh, first as a director of Carnegie Wave Energy, which is now known as Carnegie Clean Energy, and then ran the Australian Renewable Energy Agency as the chair for something like uh, three and a half years. And, and, and that role eventually finished, but Arena did an amazing and wonderful job of catalyzing change within the industry. Mm. And again, it's one of those sorts of things where, you know, you're uh, sitting down thinking about what's the next thing I do. I knew I wasn't going to be a, um, a businessman in a grey suit and uh, <laughs> not being able to, <laughs> to speak out about the issues. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the other uh, councillors, you know, contacted me and said, you know, have you thought about this? And, of course, I knew Tim Flannery really quite well, known him for a long time. Uh, and then the more I thought about it and the more I became sort of, as, as it were, enrolled into, yeah, I can actually help contribute to this. And, uh, again, in my field of climate change and energy. And we've spoken a lot about what you've achieved already across your career and, and you know, the passion that you have, especially for the work you're doing now. But what are your goals for the future? Look, I think, I, I think it, probably the most important thing for me is to keep contributing as long as I possibly can on the climate change and energy space. It is, it is so important. I have two wonderful little boys, you know, one who's nearly nine, one who's nearly seven, who are both completely aware about the planet, they're completely aware about climate change. 
they will inherit what we leave behind. And I want to make sure that it is a better place than it would be otherwise without mine and so many other wonderful people's efforts to, to make a difference. And sometimes the planets align and when you're pushing hard, you actually achieve something and sometimes they don't, but you just keep beavering away, waiting for the planets to realign as they always do. Uh, and I don't see myself sort of giving up on that passion and with so many other wonderful people here, you know, with the Climate Council in Australia, around the world, doing the same thing, we will change the world. And what would you like to see happen, especially in that um, energy and climate change context here in Australia? The, the key thing is, I think, first off, is the, the, the energy system, the electricity system, um, you know, moving to renewable energy and the multiple different types of storage and then the, the, the finishing off of the fossil fuel era. I would like to see that happen, and I think it will happen. And I think it will actually happen for lots of different reasons, but that would be really key, and I'll see it in my lifetime. I have no doubt about that. The transport sector needs to move and do, to move uh, very, very quickly. Obviously, there's lots of other work to be done in the agricultural space and stationary energy space and so on like that, but that work needs to be done. The second part I would like to be seeing is on places like the Great Barrier Reef, which are going to feel the brunt of climate change, both from temperature effects and also mm. CO2 acidification effects. How, what can we do to make sure that every other stressor on the reef uh, is taken away so it has a chance? The key thing is to give it a chance. Mm. Um, so, yep, that's the sorts of things I'm interested in working on and seeing happen. <laughs> Just a few small goals then, that's good. <laughs> Just a few small goals. And finally, Greg Bourne, your story is very inspirational and that's why I think it's so important that we do share it with the audience. But what advice do you have for someone who may be listening and they may be working in the energy sector around the world who might be considering a similar transition to the other side just like you? What would you say and what advice would you give them? I think back to those two questions. You know, are you proud of what you're doing today and are you proud of what leaving, you're leaving behind? And whilst... When you're starting off in your career, it's very hard to uh, even ask those questions, yet let alone answer them. Carrying those questions continuously forward, I think, helps you choose the paths. And the paths are different for every single person, of course. Um, so but asking those questions of yourself becomes really important, I believe. You're up to date from the Climate Council podcast team. You can access all of the latest Climate Council reports, fact sheets and podcasts at climatecouncil.org.au. You can also follow us at Climate Council on Twitter and forward slash Climate Council on Facebook. Don't forget the Climate Council is independent and community funded. We rely on donations to fund our critical research campaigns and projects. So please help to support our work and donate via our website today.